All right, listen. The Titanic is three hours and 14 minutes. Any movie that is over three hours is four hours. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. (laughs) If it's 2.59, it's three hours. If it's three hours and five minutes, it's a four-hour movie. It's a four-hour movie. (laughs) Five, six, seven, eight. There's no business like show business. Mamma mia, here I go again. I don't know why this is Debbie Reynolds' favorite movie of hers. It is? Yeah. This? That's what I said! In this economy? Absolutely In not. this economy? Donde es la economía? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it was just really, really fun to film. That's what I'm thinking. It might have been she had a good experience filming it, and because it was essentially clowning for two hours. And if that's something that brought her a lot of joy, then great. I I can see her having a blast filming it if that's something she likes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as an (sighs) audience member, it was fine. Hello, welcome back to 5678, a movie musical (laughs) podcast. The podcast where we review and recap movie musicals and Listen, they can't all be winners. And this this episode, we are doing the 1964 American comedy musical western, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, starring Charles Waters, yeah. Debbie Reynolds, and the Colorado River. <laughs> and the Titanic. Pretty much. Very, and very the Titanic, very bri- with a brief cameo by the Titanic. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> if I'm looking at the marquee, it's like, Debbie Reynolds, Charles Walters, and the Titanic. Like And the Titanic with the Colorado River. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who got top billing in this? I just I forget that the Titanic was a British passenger liner. Yes. I always think it's American. Because yeah. it was on its way to America. Nah. <laughs> I shout out to Charlie um, who knows a lot about shipwrecks. Charlie could have Charlie's gonna be very upset that I didn't know that the Titanic was. We shout out Charlie British. a lot. We do, and you podcast. know what? Charlie's an avid listener. Yeah, we love that. Charlie's a good fan. <laughs> Did you know anything about this movie going in? Did Absolutely you know anything about the not. Plot? I mean, I know. I heard of the name. I know the character, um, obviously, like the the historical figure of like unsinkable Molly Brown, um, because I have seen the Titanic. And Anna has notoriously not <laughs> Is seen she the Titanic. In the Titanic movie? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Played by cool. Kathy Bates. Cool. Yeah. Still haven't she's seen rad. the Titanic. I could watch this movie twice and then have seen the Titanic. <laughs> Titanic is not four hours long. You can't tell me. I, I refuse to hear that. No, the Titan- Titanic is a long-ass movie. Yeah, that is um, true. Anyway, um, so I know about the character, um, but I didn't know, like, sort of her backstory. I just knew her in reference to the sinking of the Titanic. Um, it is so funny that our favorite reference is the Titanic has sunk, and now we finally have a <laughs> Titanic. <laughs> oh, my God. I hadn't thought about that. Breaking news. The Titanic has sunk. All right, listen. Yeah, pretty much. The Titanic is three hours and 14 minutes. Any movie that is over three hours, it's four hours. I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. <laughs> if it's 2.59, it's three hours. If it's three hours and five minutes, yeah. it's a four-hour movie. It's a four-hour movie. <laughs> incredible, incredible. Um, 
Yeah, so I know about the historical, like, figure that is Margaret Brown. I know jack shit. Uh, but I didn't know anything about her backstory, and this movie is barely accurate to her backstory, so that's fine. This movie is all backstory. I don't know, I'm sorry. Pretty much. I understand, uh, uh, we'll get to this. Well, it's I understand. Funny you... What? Yeah, sorry. What? I, well, no, you had mentioned Mame. You had texted me about Mame, and then I was like, "Oh, is this movie like Mame?" And then I was watching it, and I was like, "Oh, it kind of, it kind of <laughs> is. It's just like this person's life, and they exist, and they're doing things." Honestly, I don't even remember why I was thinking. I texted Grace earlier this week, being like, "I just remembered how much we both hated Mame." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I see the similarities now. I hadn't clocked it until you said it. Yeah. I guess my thing is, she became known as the unsinkable Molly Brown. However, this film is not about how she became known as the unsinkable Molly Brown. It is about the entire rest of her life that leads up to her getting that title. And then the film ends. Yeah. Yeah. So I... And then she gets the title and then that's... And the film ends. So it's like how she... I guess like if if you're going to... I thought it would have made more sense if a film had been like whatever, more about diving into the heroism that specifically earned her this title versus i understand yeah. that like her life led her to be that heroic but if you're gonna call the movie unsinkable molly brown i guess i want to know about the act that earned the title and not the lifetime before I, you know what i mean i do i do um i'm also going to talk about like instead of doing a deep dive into an actor today i'm actually going to do a deep dive into the figure of the Margaret titanic brown. No, Margaret Brown, and, like, everything that she did. Um, can okay. you imagine? All right, guys, I'm going to go through, instead of doing Unsinkable Molly Brown, we're going to do shot-by-shot analysis of the Titanic. Um, this is a five-hour podcast now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We should talk about this movie. This film does not start at the Titanic. It starts in Colorado. In the big Moses energy of, like pushing a baby down the river we get the colorado of and wooden baby basket with a baby it's a cradle it's a cradle pushed around and some truly atrocious baby noise asmr i hated that was an adult right that had to be an adult person doing that it had to have been an adult person going and i'm not even i was about to start making noises and i did not want it it. like it started to come out of my mouth and i hated it's also so clearly a um a mannequin baby in the wide shots yeah exactly and then in the close-ups it's very obviously like a back screen yeah Um, oh we get a lot of those anyway this This baby baby survives somehow survives going down the river moses style and I just want to know who in the real story and also in this film, who put their baby in this river? Um, that was my question because at first I thought, oh, maybe something happened. And then because she's like, oh, with a family. And then later on it's revealed, oh, this isn't my real dad. This is the guy that found me and raised me. And I was like, who the fuck put their baby in a river? I don't um, know. Ask Moses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's the pharaoh in the Colorado mountains? Um, um anyway. Is uh is Judge is John Brown the Pharaoh? <laughs> okay, All this right. is a wild Mo- reading of this movie. If Molly in Brown to the Moses, is Moses myth, I fucking love it. Then it's Moses. John Brown. Um what's what's the Pharaoh's name? Ramses. Is Ramses? And then are her aunt is her is her that is Gladys's mom and her father the like two bumbling like s- s- 
sure. We're talking oh about the animated one, God. right? Like the two bumbling. Yeah. Okay, the Timon and Pumbaa of this film. Obviously. Um, yeah, the Timon and Pumbaa of this film. And then is... I mean, listen, they both go the up. Prince, they both go abroad. The fucking... They both go... This is this is a wild <laughs> reading of this movie, and I we love are it. two minutes um, <laughs> into this movie and we've gone off the rails. Okay, we got to <sighs> okay, we, okay. We, title sequence title? rescued from the Colorado yeah. River, and we see someone fishing, fishing, and uh, surprise, surprise, we've jumped ahead an indeterminate amount of years. It could have been fifteen, it could have been twenty-five. I could not tell you. All I know is the I baby is now age. grown up. Yeah. To, and uh, I'm going to get to a gripe in a second, is is a grown-up person, a girl who Mm. lives in the Mm. uh, frontiers of Colorado with her father and then another family that has all boys. So she is a girl amongst boys. She has been raised like a ruffian. She has our first song. Big tomboy energy. uh, That's called I Ain't Down Yet, where she literally just wrestles the other boys and beats the shit out of them and they beat the shit out of her. Okay. First, yeah. great. They put Debbie Reynolds in the ugliest motherfucking wig it's so for bad. this beginning sequence to make her seem young. Uh, you could not pay me to tell you how old she is supposed to be in these scenes. No idea. No idea. And if she's supposed to be 13, 14, uh, nope. or like 18, cast a, cast a different actor. It was so distracting. It was wild. I had no idea. And and cast a younger mo- the, version of her. The the movement from this scene where the the where these three boys and the and her are like wrestling and she like refuses to call uncle whole deal. Um the movement from that into the song was so bad. Um <laughs> Oh, I got you right while you were drinking. It's, Sorry. It's bad. Um, it it's was so, so cheesy. It was, as someone who went to a class called scene into song literally uh, shocking um i was just like holy shit this is like an example of what not Not to to do do. yeah it's so bad like and and the song itself is fine it's a big i want song it has big energy of uh my fair lady um wouldn't it be loverly yeah of just her naming a bunch of things that she wants, which is like a red silk dress, a big brass bed. It's the same energy. But the movement into the song was so distractingly bad that I was like, I kind of expected better from Debbie Rose. Here's the th- I, I um, was equally on the same page because this is truly our introduction to this character, to this film, and whatever like given circumstances we have established. Yeah. I The characters in this homestead are larger than life. Like, the physicality, yeah. the acting, the style of singing yes. is so over-the-top characterized that it took, it did take me a second to, like, wrap my head around, like, okay, this is what we're doing. And then I could watch it for what it was. But that was truly, we had no, like, it was yeah. just, like, zero to 60 with no warning. And I, yeah. again, it's her and these, like, three boys who who are probably age appropriate they look like late teens early 20s and i couldn't figure out whether they were picking on her or they were roughhousing like siblings it was just really really like very violent yeah it was very violent but i i I got the the sibling vibe i got the vibe of just like we tease we we pick on molly but also you know what i'm an only Um, child (laughs) 
<laughs> I did not grow up with. I divorce. don't. I don't um, know what's yeah. normal. So Molly says all of this stuff about how she doesn't like the word down. She only likes the word up, and she's gonna she's gonna find a rich man to marry so that she can have uh, all of these things and like list them off. Um, and that night, her dad and, and the dad's friend, who's the who's the um, father of the, the three other boys, homesteader, the other homesteader, um, they're they're chatting about like who like oh who can we marry Molly off to like someone who like they're talking about her. her like she's not even there and she's like in the room actively um and they're like oh well you have three sons and they're like <laughs> Molly no um, Hard and pass. and the boys actively laugh at and, her yeah and that night she decides to leave um to uh go to go into a town eventually aiming for Denver yeah uh that's as like far as her her universe expands um her yeah. dad catches her like packing her bag to leave and he asks her like what are you doing and she says like when here where mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm super grateful that you saved me from that river when i was a baby but i got bigger things in my in my future if i stay here you're just born you live you yeah. die her fa- her adoptive father very very okay with that um he gives her advice and he's like your future husband needs to be an irish catholic well, and also he's like, hey, listen, if a guy offers you a roof over your head, make sure he's also offering yeah. you marriage. Kind of being like, don't don't let don't yourself get taken, get taken of, by yes. someone who's going to take advantage Cut of Cut to the, a different yeah. wilderness in Colorado. The and woods. With, with, with big, oh, what a beautiful morning energy. We yeah. meet... <laughs> We meet Ramses. We meet <laughs> We meet John J. Brown, who is the only actor this week we are doing DreamWorks Prince of Egypt. Sorry. This is the only this actor is the only one that came over from the Broadway production. He sings the song Colorado yes. My Home and like fucks around with the echoes of the canyon that he's overlooking again very big oh what a beautiful morning the and oklahoma energy was too epic for an opening song for this character it just it felt like a fi- like an act one finale like the, i thought the it gave, actual gave big same felt like an act oh, one oh, finale. I see you're talking orchestrations yeah 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 um it was just like big brass finales and then he continued on and i was like he also did the, the, the deepest like lunges um, well <laughs> I called it the gym teacher pose. It's like whenever your gym teacher hikes up his leg a little bit too high to like lean forward and talk to people. Stretch out those hip flexors. Oh yeah. It was was a big gym teacher pose. Yeah. And I just, we don't get his name. We're just, he's like, this is a man that loves the woods. (laughs) Pretty much. I'm sorry. I just cracked myself up. (laughs) All Um, right. Cut to Molly cleaning herself in the river. Bathing in a river. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets out and gets dressed. And then What's-His-Face is just lying on the ground watching her. Reclining her. He's been there the The whole time. The whole fucking time. Um, It's so... And she's like, what the fuck? And he was like, this is my land, so you're trespassing. Um... He, they end up chatting a little bit. She says that she's on her way to Leadville, and he's like, "Well, that's like ten miles away. So, um, when's the last mm. time you ate? Do you want a place to sleep tonight?" And she was like, "I'm not interested in that." And he's like, "That's not what I was asking. But if if you're hungry, yeah. I have stew and like, and if you want to sleep outside to be safe, that's totally up to you." Yeah. So she goes back because she's hungry. And then he introduces himself. She takes him up on his offer. He he introduces his name himself. Is Johnny his name is John J. Brown. Brown. Yeah. 
He's got himself a nice cabin in the woods. Yeah. And again, this is a man that loves the woods. He's, he's uh, a woodsy he serves boy. her food. He's an and he asks her what guy. she's gonna do in what she's gonna do in Leadville. And she goes, I wanna read, I wanna learn to read and write. And mm-hmm. she's been carrying some postcards in her sack, and she doesn't know how to read, so she takes out the postcards and she goes, she asks him, What do, what do these postcards say? And the first yeah. one says, Best regards from uh Katie, uh, something Katie or Henry, other. something like Yeah. Um, and he helped. He like can kind of read okay. And so yeah. he tells her. Uh, he like tells her what um, they are. And one of them's from Pennsylvania Avenue, which is where the socialites of Denver live. It's their like yes. their Fifth Avenue. And Ooh. she talks about how she. That's where she wants to end up. She's gonna marry a millionaire and she's gonna live on Pennsylvania Avenue. So he serves her stew and she starts trying to like eat through it really fast because she has like a long way to go. And he's like, oh, there's no need to rush. It's only just like about 10 minutes away over the hill. And she's like, mm-hmm. you fucking lied to me and said yeah. it was 10 miles away. You're a goddamn liar. And she runs away. Yes. Leaving okay. her bag of stuff there. She goes fucking feral. She goes feral a lot. That's just and again, I, I can't stress it enough because like we're going to talk like it's normal behavior. The reactions are so heightened from yeah. her uh, and I don't know if we're going to get any like direct quotes, but I'm re- realizing saying like, oh, she caught him. She catches him alive. She confronts him and she storms off. No, she fucking like she wild animal scratch, like screams at him and like, like, like a caged animal, essentially. Um, yes, very much so. And um, she takes and off without her bag. Away. Yeah. And she walks through Leadville. Yeah, she gets to Leadville. And so we get a little... Where there's a bar guy, a bartender, or a, a barkeep, whatever, owner. old saloon vibes, um, who's, like, brushing uh, out dust, and he's like, oh, my help has no longer helping, because the place across the way has two singing, dancing girls, and um, like he, I don't have anyone to help me with my saloon. And he has no he customers. Right as, yeah. yeah, and he says that right as Molly is walking. She was like, I can help. And so he ends up hiring her because she yeah, keeps she just lying. Lies. He's like, can you sing? And she was like, yeah. He's like, can you play piano? And she was Absolutely. like, 100%. She faints from hunger. Piano. Pi- and she's like, 100% yeah. I can play piano. We um, do see her later that. So she's hired despite passing out from hunger. Yeah. To work at the issue. And he doesn't even offer. I don't think he can pay her, but she's just like, it's a roof over my head and food in my stomach. But at least yeah. housing yeah, yeah, and yeah. food. Yeah. Later that night, she, we, we see her like teaching herself how to play piano because she knows one song and it's a song called belly up to the bar boys that we actually first heard when she was introduced because it's something that the homesteaders were singing when they were heading back uh, to their their homestead so ouch so she figures out like whatever like not even chord progressions but the one note and she's like plunking things out yeah and then cut to her being a piano prodigy no i'm sorry she's not i thought she was a piano prodigy she has one chord and then she is playing a single other note and she's just going like this just like a marionette yeah she's not like she's no she's got rhythm and she's got six notes and she found a chord congratulations you found a chord and she sings belly up to the bar yes. boys and she gets the whole saloon singing with some wild energy. She can't I and again it's never explicitly explained. I guess it's just something we're supposed to pick up through context, but she's clearly lived a very sheltered life out on the range. She's probably never she mm. doesn't really know and she definitely didn't like socialize with other people growing up. She doesn't know how to dance. So yeah. it's all just straight limbs and like 
like p- trying to pick up what other people are kicks. doing and kicks and like jumping in a yeah, circle it's very kind of rough and tumble just then three prostitutes walk into the bar hell yes i wrote three <laughs> ladies of the night enter <laughs> three, um, three women around town and molly is shocked yeah. by the fact that they she walks like a she walks like a man because she's never um known anything else so she sees she, she sees the way these woman. prostitutes are swaying their hips and and walking kind of in a in a crisscross mm. and she's tries to mimic their walks and is terrible at it and the crowd Baffled. mocks her and then the crowd dances yeah. and we get a dance battle of prostitutes it's amazing it's it's wild there is yeah dance battle of prostitutes is not on my bingo card for this movie but here we are so the the song ends in a big musical theater facing the camera heavy breathing yeah. which i, I love. do I love like every time that it happens. in this dance um, battle we don't see molly become good at dancing she's just She's not instantly good. She just like not tries. But cut to end of end of the number, yeah. exactly as you said, holds in place, breathing high sh- shoulders up and down. And Molly sees Johnny Brown open the saloon door, oh, yeah. hold up her bag of belongings, and then go mm-hmm. back around the corner like a fucking creep. And she follows him. He's being super weird and cagey. Yeah, 100%. But she takes her belongings. And yeah. he's like, well, you got a job now. He like... Sorry, sorry. You know what it reminds me of? <laughs> Can't remember what to think of. Okay, so you know how in Greece, when Danny is first like super excited to see Sandy, and then he like <laughs> plays it off cool because he's in front of the other Greasers. He plays yeah, it off cool. Uh-huh. He's like, oh my god, Sandy! Cool. Oh, girl. If you want, like, that is that exact same <laughs> don't energy make me laugh. for no fucking reason yeah. other than. I don't, yes. I, I just said, like, he, like, Johnny Brown, I saw her, like, talking to other people, whatever. She asked him if he te- he'll teach her to read. And he says yes. So yeah. then, Yes. And then we get a montage. And learn to write. Of yeah. her she learning to read. And she learns pretty quickly. She, she is smart. Yeah. And she learns and to write as well. Learner. Cut to the two of them. Again, she's of indeterminate age. This man, this man yeah. is easily late 20s. They're early 30s. I don't actually... Yeah. You can tell me how old they were yeah. based in the real story, and that'll tell me how old she's supposed to be. I could not tell you. Yeah, hold on, hold on. When did they get married? So she's born in 1867. And okay, that makes she sense. she moved to Leadville at 18. Um, and then they got married in 80s, and he was born 54. So he is a good yeah, that 13 years older than her. And they got married in 86. Yeah. So she was 19 when they got married. And he yeah, was that tracks. Like 32. Uh, I got that vibe from this whole thing. Anyway. <laughs> so they, they are laying in the grass together. And he says, well, now you know how to learn to read and write. I uh, yeah. you'll probably be leaving soon. She goes, yeah, I got big things ahead of me. And he asks, like, well, what would what would be enough for you to, like, when when, when yeah, are you going to be happy? And she's, like, lists off all the things. And she says she needs to, she needs to find herself a millionaire or, like, a miner with a rich claim of earth. And he's like, well, I got yeah. a claim. That's definitely worth a that. fuck ton of money. But I got, I got no need for money. What I need is a woman. She goes, cool, get yourself one. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, good luck. Yeah. Um, good luck with and 
Yeah. Just... Uh, and he does say that he has a silver mine claim, whatever, that someone is looking to buy from him. Yeah. So that's set up for later. And he does ask her, hey, like, you're looking for, for like, money. Do you think you could ever settle for happiness? And she's like, nah. <laughs> um, Hard pass. <laughs> and then he starts to sing the song, I'll Never Say No, which is, like, whatever you want, I will yeah, say I'll never yes say to no you. to like, you. I'm, I'm here to provide to you. And so whatever it is that you ask for, I'm going to do that. And, and she so does not like, know cool, what I wanna... to do with these romantic advances. Nope. She's like, I want a house with a window and a bed with a brass bed and a red silk dress and teacups. And I like, want to go like, see thinking of random things. And hey, I want you to yeah, go jump and... in that lake. And so he runs. And she's like, like wait, no, I was, I was fucking yeah. joking. And then this man, okay, I'll was... cut this if I have to for time. But this man, did you think it was wild energy that when in the wide shot when he's in the middle of the field he was singing and he was just like throwing his chest back yes just like wide stance chest like up, just like back nothing, insane just, and he, once is fine but that was just like how he was like singing. baby bird energy of just like straight throat to the sky like <laughs> just singing his hearts out um <laughs> Anyway, she gets very <laughs> overwhelmed. Uh, she does says, I, yeah. I, you, I hate the bow in her hair right now. It makes yeah. her look so young. because they were trying to gross. age Debbie anyway, Reynolds in reverse. Um, uh, she says, stay away from me. I do have feelings for you, but yeah. stay away from me. And she runs off feeling very conflicted and Johnny eats grass. Um, and then we have a construction montage of him continuing to sing this song. Yeah, and he's building, building a house wants. for her. And he rides into town to pick her up. And, uh, and he's like, we're he going to go, uh, yep. I don't know, look at something else. See and he takes her to the cabin. She's like, you're not tricking me. Uh, I, but surprise, uh, he's built, he's like made this huge addition to her cab, the cabin. He's done up the entire space for her. He's even built a spare yeah. room for her father to stay with, to live with them. He got her a big yeah. brass bed. Yeah. And she says, no one's ever done anything special for me. They embrace. And then... Gaston appears. So <laughs> then we get big Gaston energy of him being like, "Well, we're getting married now." Now he's um, like, "Oh, good, not you like asking it." Her, telling Nef- her does not ask her. It's like, "Oh, good, you and like she's it." She's like, "Great, we're gonna get married what? right now before you change your mind." And he goes out the door, opens it, ushers in a bunch of people and a band. Can't find a ring, so grabs like the paper cigar sleeve off and like yeah. takes that as a ring. And then it's like a flash mob, this, but it is a flash a wedding. flash mob of a wedding. Yeah. God damn it! That's the, literally my worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> and so they have a they get they get married. Yeah. Insane. 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 Cut to later, the entire town leaves their cabin. Everyone's drunk and happy, and Molly inside is is distraught. Despondent. Yeah. She like truly like a paper ring, no wedding dress. The groom is drunk. What have I done? What have I gone and done? I've made the mistake that my father warned me about. I've married a drunken, good-for-nothing minor. I've been bamboozled. And Grace and I love the word bamboozled. She says bamboozled bamboozled. in this. I want to make sure. It was great. Uh, Then he (laughs) cries as well and runs away. Yeah, they they both have the same. They match each other's energies in wildly unhealthy responses to confrontation. (laughs) Um, and, And so... 
she starts saying this was a mistake this is horrible he's drunk and hears like his new yeah. wife saying this about this and he bursts into tears and runs out and i thought that he's just snuck back later that no, night surprise motherfucker he's been gone for three days insane so he shows up and wakes her up and she's like oh my god are you okay he's like yeah i'm fine she's like good where the fuck have you yeah. been and has a whole angry shouting match at him Turns out this fucker went and found that dude that was looking to buy his stake in the silver mine, and he brought home three hundred thousand dollars. And he just dumps it on the bed. Insane. And he's like, "Now I can get you a gold wedding ring." Yeah, and and he says, "I'll get you a gold wedding ring, a red uh, silk dress, and a go to hell hat." And I'm like, "I want all three of those things. Give me a go to hell hat." Molly's on cloud nine again. She's like, "Everything is good." yeah. Johnny goes to shower because he's been gone for three days. And she, yeah, and then she starts, she pockets the money. And then I'm like, are you going to fucking steal his money? But no, what she's thinking about is she's, she's, I thought she was fully going to steal it and leave while he was in the shower. But no, she thinks she's looking for places to hide it yeah. from potential burglars. Because again, yeah. scarcity mindset. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the whole idea of like, where do you keep yeah. your money yeah. under my mattress? She decides. Um, the best place to hide to it, it is the furnace, the literal <sighs> stove. She goes to cool. bed. Johnny, coming back from his shower, nighttime in the woods, is like, oh, fuck, I'm At I'm night cold. in Colorado. He lights the fire. I'm cold. He gets into bed, and she's like, where did you light? What do you mean you lit a fire? Yeah, he's like, oh, my bum's all toasty now. And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I was just warming it at the fire. And she's I like, just, I what? literally, Grace, I cut I fast-forwarded through the following sequence because it is just her running, panicking, trying to get the money. The money is all burnt. She freaks out. And he goes, it's only money. She fully panics he's, and thinks he, that she he's going to hit $30,000. Because she burnt $30,000. No, excuse me. $300,000. Like, 300 Sorry. God damn it. Um, and so he he grabs her to stop her from panicking and is like, listen, I I've never cared about money. This isn't... I, whatever like i'll i'll go get more and like she's still panicking and like crying and so he's like fine i'll go find another silver mine and like walks out the door and she runs after him being like no don't and so he like throws his pickaxe over his shoulder like kisses her and then they turn around and that pickaxe has hit a place in the mountain and silver yeah. rains literally rains out of the I mountain just, this, it this is whole scene insane she she wails insane. like we'll never get to denver now and he's like oh okay, fine. Like I will literally go, I'm like really good at finding claims and uh, like, or, and she's like, wait, don't go. I'll go find more. I'm really good at this. Fucking want. Cut to Pennsylvania Avenue where there is a sightseeing looky loo tour going by that is, and, and the announcer goes, and uh, the newest mansion on Pennsylvania Avenue belongs to Mr. and Mrs. J.J. Brown. The mine they found has already raked in $10 million. The Titanic has sunk. Mm. Like, it's just... (laughs) Yeah, big energy. Same energy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But, so they're there, and they are bored out of their goddamn minds. They're bored out of their noggins. And they're very rich. Bored, idle, and wealthy. And it's because no one in the neighborhood will really talk to them they are very much the nouveau riche kind of deal and they in an effort to try and like make friends they invite their banker to come to their house to give them like 
petty cash. And this man is our waiter. This man is just trying to do his job. He shows up and he's like, here's the money you requested. And they're like, sit down, have some tea. He's like, I have to go back to the bank. <laughs> I have, I have a work. Job. <laughs> I can't, I can't just, they're like, oh, stop by any time. He's like, I have to go. <laughs> like, it was so silly. But it, as he's leaving, they see like these caterers arriving at the house right next to them. And they're like, what's going on? He was like, oh, that's Mr. That's Mrs. Whatever her face. Um, Mick something. Gladys McGraw um, is the name of their neighbor. McGraw. That's who it is. Um, she throws a party every year when her roses bloom. And that's what's going on. And Because rich like, people oh, will throw no, we parties invited. for literally anything. For any yeah. reason. Yeah, so they were not invited to this party. Very intentionally snubbed. Cut cut to the party. We get to meet Gladys McGraw, who is their neighbor. Uh, we also meet yes. Monsignor something or other, like a local... A local um, Parish yes. parishioner. Hang on. Wait, where is it? I literally just wrote Monsignor. Church yeah, person. deacon, whatever. Deacon. Um, and it is just like yeah. so classic, stiff upper lip, like very polite, somber compliments. And the social, mm. they are, the social elite are talking well, it, about it, their, the Browns and they're like, they're a terrible influence on the neighborhood. They overpay their servants. God. <laughs> no so, one has gone to visit them. I know. And like, God, have you seen their redecorations? It's so gauche. And then like, cut to the Browns um, sneaking into the party through the hedges. Bursting through the bushes. It was amazing. What is the lion what witch an in the wardrobe? And so they <laughs> Yeah, honestly, they burst through the hedges and they were like, we were just walking and saw the lights on. We thought we'd stop by and say hi after bursting through these bushes. Insane. And Insane. whether Molly no, or... Molly is very loud. She's so loud. She also, whether... Okay, I don't know if she has the awareness that she's being rude or she doesn't. But regardless, she mm. just doesn't care. She goes right up to Gladys. She introduces yeah. herself. She introduces her husband. Gladys introduces them to the Monsignor. And they... Uh, mm -hmm. Once upon meeting him, openly like, and by openly I mean just like right then and there, like, oh, you you have a fund going on, right? Here's five thousand dollars for your fund. Yeah, husband, match it. it. In fact, double it. And the fact that they're yeah. talking so publicly and openly about money is very, very shocking. And it's just it's not how it's done. Shocking. Um, with well, and she turns to Gladys and she was like, Gladys, how much have you given to this? And she's like, I have not yet made mm -hmm. my contribution. Time for dinner. And like everyone gets pulled into the dining room, but they're not invited in. There's and they're no like, more sorry, seats at there's the table. no space. And there's like obviously space at the table. Um, but the doors are shut. And Johnny's them. like, all right, let's go. I don't want to be here. This is this is terrible. And, yeah. and, and Molly's just like, oh, no, I want to see like what they're eating for dinner. Look yeah, how look glamorous how they are. Um, Johnny says they have... We gotta, like, I wanna get out of here. I am not having a good time in Denver. We can have more fun yeah. in Leadville on accident than we could have here on purpose. Yeah. They on go purpose. home. Yeah, for sure. They eat with Pa, who has moved in with them, and they get a Kanak at the window, and yeah. it's their neighbor. And as she introduces herself, she's actually Gladys McGraw's mother, Buttercup Grogan. And she said, yeah. and they ask her, like, how was the I party? She goes, oh, Buttercup. I didn't go. I'm never invited to my daughter's party. She she keeps me locked upstairs. Yeah, pretty, because she's very, she's like a thick Irish accent. And she's very much in the same range as Pa of just like, I just want a beer and some stew. Like, yeah. she is humble. Um, yeah she's she's not her daughter is wealthy she is not necessarily wealthy 
And she asks Molly what she's going to do to get back at the snub yeah, that Gladys did. Like, what are you going to do about it? And um, kind of pushes them into throwing their own party. A bigger um, and even grander party than the McGraws Yeah, with threw. more music and louder and all of that. Um, and we they cut the party. to the party and not a single no one person goes. showed up. The no uh, Gladys, or, up. Um, Buttercup is there and the Monsignor is there, but no one else shows yeah. up. Yeah, Poly- um, yeah. Uh, and Monsignor is like, can I give you some advice of, yeah. uh, uh, to Molly? And Johnny's like, we don't need any advice. This is terrible. And Molly's like, no, no, I want to hear like, what Monsignor sh- 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 has sh- sh- to sh- say. Yeah. And he goes, this isn't, here in Denver isn't old society like it is in New York or somewhere where like we have like or the population, yeah. specifically in the Americas, New York, but even more so in Europe where yeah. the, the America is not only so young, but the West is so young that the high society here is not even one generation from being absolutely as like like covered wagons coming out here. You being mm-hmm. wealthy reminds them that they themselves are not that far off from their own humble beginnings and it makes them very uncomfortable. I suggest that you mm-hmm. take a trip to Europe get sophisticated, mm-hmm. get some sophistication, learn about mm-hmm. art, learn about music, take a break mm-hmm. from the society that is not welcoming you. And Johnny says, I don't want to do that. I want to go back to Leadville. And Molly says, fuck that. I'm never going back. I'm only going forwards. And Johnny's yes. like, no, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to do it. And she sings, I'll never say no to you. And he's like, fuck, you're right. I love you. We're going to go to Europe. Fine. Yeah. Cut, cut so they dancing. go off. They get... They do like a big dance around their empty ballroom, which cuts to them dancing at various locations around it's Europe. A very, like around it's the a Parthenon very king and, and I waltz. Like around Buckingham yeah. Palace. Yeah. <laughs> it's a one, two, three, and one, two, they three. They go to yeah, museums and they um, take French classes and yeah. other languages and piano and painting lessons and get exposed and to all this culture. Molly takes up French. Yeah. And Molly takes up French mm-hmm. pretty well. And Johnny's very much struggling. So that's also part yes, of Yes. Molly is thriving. Um, but and Johnny is getting weary yes, of this. But they make friends. Great. They meet up. They get a prince and they get a duchess. Yeah. And the French, they ultimately settle in Paris at the end of this whirlwind tour. The French yeah. love Molly. Um, that we get a, a. It's her birthday. She throws herself a little birthday party, a birthday dinner with all of her new friends. Massive success. They, should they say we love you? You're a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And her her new friends treat her at her birthday party by singing Belly Up to the Bar Boys. And she gets... They're like, we learned this song that we hear from you. And she gets very emotional. And Johnny is oh, not so there. Yes. Notably absent from her birthday party. And they ask, they ask her, oh, what did Johnny <laughs> get you? Um, and she said $300,000 and a box of matches. And it is actually very funny. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Yes. One thing also um, is that uh, her ring that she gets. So oh, shoot, um, that's one right. thing that we missed back in Denver. So Johnny um, gives her a, uh, a true wedding ring that is one that he has had specially made that is covered in like diamonds and gems, but is like in the design yeah. of the cigar sleeve that he had originally married her with, um, which she loves she thinks it's incredible um but he does tell her yeah. never take it off until i tell you to okay um, that's so right that i forgot about later. that anyway uh she gets home um, and she and jj yeah. johnny are a little snippy at each yes. other about why he wasn't there he says yeah. uh that the the prince who is their friend is soft on her and johnny's just mm-hmm. fed up with the finery and he 
says that he wants to go home, but he lets Molly say what she was going to say first. And she literally says, I think it's time we go home. And he's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. I'm so glad. Thank God. I'll buy the tickets tomorrow. And she's like, yeah, make sure you buy 10 of them because I've invited all of our royal friends back to Denver to show them Denver. So, And he's like, are you showing like the royals Denver or are you showing Denver mm-hmm. the royals which I thought was like one of the actually good lines of this movie where yeah. I was like oh and yes, Johnny, but Johnny okay. regardless um, of how Johnny feels about the Europeans joining them he's so happy to go back stateside mm-hmm. that he gets we get a reprise of Colorado Rolled. my home cut to Colorado cut yes. back to their mansion on Pennsylvania Avenue Molly throws a very mm-hmm. formal gala all of her European friends are there and all yes. of the Denver Society 36 are there yeah, the as well. And she is 36. just, she is the lady, Sacred 36. She is the lady that she always Bullshit. dreamed she'd be. Gladys shows up mm-hmm. because Gladys was invited. And Gladys brought a society, with society writer. writer with her. <gasps> this bitch. Um, and they start saying some shit about her house. And uh, John is like in the corner, Johnny is in uh-huh. the corner and overhears them. And they're just like, do you think that she couldn't find any more red? It's big Gryffindor common room energy, <laughs> this house of just golden red everywhere. Um, and he, and then like they're sort of snickering at the design choices. And Johnny's like, she likes red. What do you want? And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, so anyway, Molly sets up this huge entrance for all of her royals that um, that are her friends, where she is standing at the bottom of the staircase right next to Gladys and the society writer and has each person announced as they enter and she speaks to each of them in their own language. So she speaks French and she speaks Italian and she speaks German. And wait, they all wait, compliment hold on. Her. Did you watch this with subtitles? What? How did you watch this? First, how did you watch this? I... Amazon. Amazon. Okay, watch it on Amazon. Did you watch it with subtitles? I You think would so. know because I <laughs> this took me so out of it. But there were no subtitles for the for the um No, there weren't. However, Prince Louis makes his entrance, she speaks in French, she speaks in Italian to someone else, and then when it got to the German guy, it just said foreign language. i didn't catch that that's so funny not know what german sounds like (laughs) they're like some language indeterminable Indeterminable i'm like that is very clearly german (laughs) that is so funny anyway please continue but like one of the guys is just like oh is that your painting over there on the wall incredible miss mcgraw do you paint Mm -hmm. Uh, no what a pity miss mcgraw do you speak french no do you speak italian no Putting what a pity. all of Mally's new um, learned talents on display and Miss Gra- yeah, McGraw's Exactly, It's like, oh, will you play piano for us? Do you play piano? No? What a pity. Mm-hmm. And it's brutal. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we get all of this. And then at the very end, after the Her Royal Highness is announced, then... Gladys is as like the final Buttercup. male in yeah. this in this fucking thing. Buttercup is announced and is led down the stairs by this prince and is just like, "What's up, Gladys? <laughs> <laughs> you can't lock me Incredible. upstairs anymore." Yeah, exactly. So Molly's like, "Great, everything is going according to plan. This is all a success." Suddenly, Johnny has Fantastic. a surprise for her. He pulls mm. back the curtain, and like the entire town of Leadville is also there. The band from the town. All 12 of them. All of her friends are there. And Molly is very, very excited to see them. She goes up, she embraces them, all of her old Thrilled. friends. And uh, Molly has had this grand introduction of all of her friends. So Johnny has his own version of that where he introduces all of 
his compatriots from Leadville to the crowd of society folks mm. with the song, He's My Friend. And at first I was yeah. like, oh, how's this going to go? They're very rough and tumble compared to the royalty and the, the finery in the room. The royals love yeah, it. Yeah, they love it. This the, the gist of the chorus of the song is that, like, I would do anything for my friend and he would do anything for me. And if you say anything against mm. me, my friend's going to come and kick your ass. And every, like, the royals yeah. get their own version where, like, if you say anything against Molly, you're going to have to deal with me. It's really, really cute. Yeah. Molly dances with... But the Denverites yeah. are not But the, the Europeans love it. De- Molly, and, Molly love it. And dances around with Johnny, and the dancing leaves behind the we waltzing. Little, like, shuffle... We, we, we get a good... Like yeah. a shuffle step. And it becomes so more and more reminiscent of the dance in the pub earlier, where Molly yes. loses her finery, and the high kicks return, and the, like... She's still... She's a lot more yeah. graceful than she used to be, but... The the yeah. poise of the dance is lost. Ma- mm. M- McGraw yes. snickers at Molly and makes a comment. And the society and the Europeans aren't going to do anything, but the Leadvilleites absolutely come to her defense. And they absolutely. start a brawl and food fight at Molly's gala. Spectacular. And the prince is loving it. The prince, like, takes off his jacket and grabs shit to get started. Buttercup throws a chair at one point. The butler, like, takes a full punch to the face. It was wild. But um, Molly is horrified. Yes, very much so. Uh, so and, they get, and the Denverites scatter. Yes. Scatter! When they're not being beaten um, to shit. Yeah. yeah. So... We cut to the next day. Um, Molly is hanging with the Duchess and the Prince. And they're like, that was a great time. I had a blast. But you're the, like the, the society here, I have never seen some like th- such disrespectful behavior. Do you know how many invites that we are getting and they don't mention you? Insane. Uh, like we're going yeah. to head back home and you should come with us. And Molly's like looking through the papers, looking for the society report on this. It's not in the society pages. It's in the sports pages, which is so funny. That is it doesn't the talk about like slight. her finery. Ugh. It doesn't talk about like the work she put in. It just talks about the fight. It does yes. not paint Molly in a good light. No. The Europeans, aka the Duchess and Prince Louis, mm. say. We probably are going to head back to Europe soon. This was fun. Thank you so much for the invitation. You should come, come with back us. with us. You belong in Europe. These people don't appreciate you. Yeah. And they suck. Yeah. That being said, the, the Duchess knows that Louis also has a big crush on Molly. Like, he has Very eyes so. for Molly. She clocks us. A sightseeing bus goes by, and it talks about the brawl. Molly shoots a shotgun at them. And JJ yeah. and Molly fight. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't just, you're going to make it so much worse. Also, yeah. we need to go like, back to is, Leadville. We need to go back to Leadville. I, I hate living here. Mo- yeah. He wants to go back to Leadville. Molly wants to go back to Europe. They mm-hmm. are at an impasse. They fight. And then he smacks her. He hits yeah. her. Because... She she is like you're like Europe is where it's like we can't go backwards we can only go forward and if you're too stupid and lazy to learn what's needed to do in Europe and then he backhands her and she says you know maybe we are mismatched Mr. Brown and uh, she goes to Europe and he goes back to Leadville. That's when I tapped out of this movie. I was like absolutely not. From a plot device hated it. Nope. Thought it was lazy. I just, I just don't hit your partner. Don't hit your partner. Don't hit anyone. Yeah, don't hit anyone. Write better dialogue. Yeah. He says no to her at last. He won't go to Europe. Yeah. 
finally. He then yeah. asks the Grand Canyon, what happened to us? <laughs> <laughs> it's important to ask the Grand Canyon, is this that song in the Prince of Egypt where <laughs> between the, oh my God, we even have the moment of Molly looking over the, um, the Eiffel oh, Tower. Oh, you're talking about the, the Let the My canyon. People Go song? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that movie's so much better than this movie. But they are, you are, you are correct in that there is a split screen of both of them being there so is a split low and screen sad. Moment. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Good. I'm so glad that this movie is mapping perfectly to DreamWorks The Prince of Egypt. Anyway, Johnny sings a reprise again of I Could Never Say No to You, but this time he's like, yeah. it's too much. I need you to stay away for good. Yeah. Molly's and in Europe with her prince. She's not happy, though. Um, no. She feels lost. She's at this dinner and everyone's just like, oh, you're the queen of like the the international queen, Molly Brown. And she's upset and, you know, kind of plays around with that. And, I like, think she feels a table, like a fraud. Like a, a, yeah. And she like is, is making this big scene and ends up running into Gladys mm-hmm. at the same restaurant of all the gin joints in all the world. And Gladys and she and she turns to Gladys and is like curtsy. And Gladys just kind of stares at her and she's like, no, I don't suppose you will, will you? Mm -hmm. And then ends up walking out of the restaurant with the prince trailing her. We get back to wherever wherever it is that she's staying with the prince. And she's gotten a letter. There's a letter there for her. Yeah. He says, essentially what he asked the Grand Canyon. um, And he says, you know what? You can take the ring off now. And I'm glad that you made a point to call back to when he gave her the ring he said you can only take it off until you can't take it off until i tell you to when he's I telling tell her to take it off now yeah she takes it off brutal and louis sees the he like is inspecting it and he sees an inscription on the inside that molly never knew was there because she's never taken yeah. it off she's and never it says it off. always remember yeah. two things i love you and the name of the bank and she laughs, <laughs> and she bursts into tears and she says maybe i'm not down yet and she decides mm. to give her marriage another go and also put other people's feelings above her own. Give up and give up this European prince who's super Mistakes. into her. <laughs> Stay in Europe. Marry the prince. Mistakes. Mistakes were made. Marry the prince. The prince is yeah. hot and he's into you. Anyway. Um, this okay, poor prince. Question. I don't understand the, I don't understand the inscription. Yeah. I'll remember two things. I love you and the name yeah. of the bank. I don't get it. I think it's I think it's because if she had just put those that three hundred thousand dollars in the bank, then it would have been fine. But she burnt the money in the stove okay. instead. So it's just like, please remember to, to use your. That's dumb. Head. That could have been better. That could have yeah, been better written. Could have yeah. Could have I wonder if that's historically I just if that's... and just remember I love you. Yeah. No, not at all. The the burning in the in the of the three hundred thousand okay. never happened. Thank God. Um, it's a, it's, it is definitely a rumor. It is a real rumor that was about her that, um, that, uh, that she like was just like, wouldn't that be a great story? And like absolutely spread it herself, but it is not something that happened. Anyway, cut to Molly returning to the States on a ship crossing the Atlantic. And then I wrote in all caps, oh, it's the Titanic because I, Grace, <laughs> I fully forgot 
that that was a part of this <laughs> film. We have seven, I'm grabbing my microphone, seven minutes left of this film, dear listeners. <laughs> I forgot. So This is a two-hour movie. We are at our one hour oh. and 53 minutes until the end, and this is when the Titanic comes in. I forgot. This is I when the totally Titanic forgot happens. I that was part of this story. Yeah. Wild. And the Titanic, the Titanic has sunk, sunk, and she's... <laughs> And she's in a lifeboat and people are like, we're going to die. And we see her like calming people down Giving and like her making coats. sure that people are yeah. wrapped up in coats and like basically taking control of the situation. Yeah, she takes just charge. like we're like, we're, the ship is down, but I'm not. And she takes charge and she's like, all right, I'm going to teach you guys keep a song morale just to like, keep up. things yeah. off of like, keep their minds, keep morale up. And also as a way to like, if there are any rescue boats coming, if you hear yeah. a rousing chorus of belly up to the bar boys, you might go in that direction. Um, and then we cut to back to Denver at her house and her butler is reading like the responses like, to her getting front page home. news. She's, she's like won medals of like, yeah, she's like won her heroism medals and like all of this. She stuff. was decorated by and, the British uh, government for her bravery, which is why really I was like, "Oh, excited. it's a British vessel. That makes sense." Yep. The society pages are praising her name. Yep. Denver's throwing her a parade. She gets off yep. the, however, she gets to Denver. She gets to her house. She's greeted by Pa Buttercup, everyone from Leadville. Johnny's not there, and she asks if he's there, and they say no, he's not. But Gladys yeah. is there. Gladys comes up and greets her with with yeah. Buttercup at her side. They're throwing her a welcome back and, like, congratulations, yeah. welcome to society party, fully embracing her now that she's a celebrity. Buttercup yeah. leaves. And Molly and Gladys do yeah. have a bit of a reconcile where, in not so many words, they essentially are like, we've seen each other at yeah. our worst. We both could have been nicer. Let's start this friendship off on a fresh foot. Yeah. Different note. They embrace. Molly goes inside the house. There's a lot of flowers and letters, but there's no letters from Johnny. She goes up into the bedroom and she mm -hmm. sees the brass bed from Johnny's cabin mm. in the master bedroom. And we get this like big flashback of essentially this entire movie, mm -hmm. her younger days with Johnny when they were in love. And then surprise, surprise, yeah. Johnny is there behind the door like a creep. And he holds out his arms to her and they embrace yep. and make out and reconcile. And that's how this film, yeah. And do a big yeah. old and 50s kiss, like face smash kiss. I forgot that Titanic end. was part of it. <laughs> I thought it would be more a part of it. I thought it would be more a part of it. I'm going to be honest. I didn't think that Some, it would be I was until so mad. seven minutes it from the so end. I so mad. I thought that there would be more about... Anyway. Anna, what did you think of this movie? I didn't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could have done without seeing this. Yeah. I won't see it again. Nah. Like... It was fine. We've seen worse things, but Absolutely. the bar is pretty low. <laughs> yeah, when your bar is in musical. old Chicago. Um... <laughs> when your bar is night and day. <laughs> the bar is in hell. <laughs> what was the first, what was, what was our fifth episode that was, that was just so truly chaos? The black and white children's story yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Um, Babes in Toyland. That's the one. When the bar is Babes in Toyland. <laughs> Listen, I, of the three that we have just listed, Babes in Toyland, In Old Chicago, and Night and Day. Night and Day. I had, if I had to rank them from best to worst, I would start with Babes in Toyland. And then really? I would say Night and Day. And then I would say In Old Chicago. 
in old Chicago. In old Chicago is obviously the bottom. Even though I, there was that one plot point of him being like, I've married you so you can't testify me against me in court, which I thought was chaos. Anyway, anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We no, we're talking that. about how... Um, I'm absolutely keeping that. We're talking about how... <laughs> so... Are you, remind me, are you talking about the stage production at all? Uh, barely. I'll, I'll get into a little okay. bit of it. Um, the reason I ask, and we can get into this when we get into, like, singing and stuff, but they cut mm. so many songs from the Broadway production. They only used five, yeah. and they just reused yeah. them. Yeah. It was a True Blue musical. I just... Yes. I guess I what I wanted was, one, more character development from him, and two, yeah. her change of heart to not come within the last five minutes of this film. Yeah. And I'll talk about what really happened. I know that life does not imitate art because I know you're going to talk about the original Molly Brown. And that this film mm. and the stage production are not uh, to take liberties with this narrative. How did you feel about yeah. this film? It wasn't great. I didn't. Uh, yeah. I again. I wouldn't. I. It's not my least favorite. It's not in the top half um, of movies that we've watched. It was. It was fine. I like. And I love Debbie Reynolds. And she got an Oscar nomination for this. Like, what the hell? Um. So yeah. It was just. It wasn't good. I didn't enjoy it. Um. It threw like the beginning of it threw me off. The fucking cradle in the river. The, the horrible entrance into the first song uh, where she's just yelling and there's no subtlety. And, like, I know that this character isn't supposed to have subtlety until later, but, like, there has, like, your, your characters can't just be one note. Like, people are, are multifaceted and this very much felt like this one specific thing is true about this character and I'm just going to hit that repeatedly. Yeah, I just wasn't crazy about it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I can we... say I've seen it. Yeah, it is it, a film. This is a film. This is a film. Not, not only is it a film, it is a musical. It is a musical. So I stand by it. It's um, got that going for it. <laughs> All right. Shall, shall we... we do a little dramaturgy report? Yes. Dramaturgy report. This was directed by Charles Powell Walters, who is an American yes. Hollywood director and choreographer. He is best known for his work on MGM musicals and comedies from the 40s to the 60s. He started yes. out as a performer. He was on Broadway as a dancer, and he also choreographed nice. for Broadway. He entered Ooh. Hollywood uh, when he got contracted by MGM to be a dance director, and we saw his dances in Meet Me in St. Louis. Ooh, nice. His first credited feature directorial film was the musical Good News with June Allison and Peter Lawford. He then did Easter Parade with Fred Astaire and Judy Garland. He also directed Astaire and Ginger Rogers in the Barclays of Broadway, which is a huge hit for the studio. I'm sure we will do it at some point. And that like mm. really put him on the map. And he just worked. He worked consistently through the 40s, through oh, the yeah. 50s. His last film was for Columbia in 1966. It was also the last film mm -hmm. of Cary Grant. And he would then continue to work in television for another decade before he passed away in 1982. The cinematographer for this film was Daniel Fapp, who was an American cinematographer. 
he spent the bulk of his career at Paramount, like from 1923 to 1959. So like this came after that. But, like, that was where, like, the bulk of his career was. From, like, 23 to 59, Paramount. Yeah. He worked his way up from assistant to a DP. After he left Paramount, Hell yeah. he would go on to be nominated for films such as Desire Under the Elms in 58, Five Pennies, like, like two years in a row for an Oscar, Five Pennies in 1959, in 61, one, two, three, 64, this, and uh, Hell yeah. two more. He also... Uh, in 1961, was the DP for West Side Story. So we've seen him before, oh, and he won an Oscar for that. Love that. Yeah. All right. Uh, the writer of this screenplay was Helen Deutsch. We love a female screenwriter. Absolutely. Particularly in 64. Uh, yep. Um, so she was a screenwriter, a journalist, songwriter. She began a, a, in journalism and then moved to Hollywood. Her first screenplay was in 1944, which was The Seventh Cross. She adapted Enid Bagnall's novel National Velvet into a screenplay, and that was quite oh, wow. a famous film starring Elizabeth Taylor. Um she spent a huge part of her career working for MGM, and she wrote, like, her biggest ones were King Solomon's Mines, Plymouth Adventure, Flame in the Flesh, Glass Slipper, Forever Darling, and then Unsinkable Molly Brown. And her last screenplay was for 20th Century Fox, Valley of the Dolls, in 1967. Oh, yeah. Um, now, this was a stage musical before it was a film. So The Unsinkable Molly Brown was a 1960 musical with music and lyrics by Meredith Wilson and a book by Richard Morris. So four years prior. Yes. Um, the plot is a fictionalized account of the life of Margaret Brown, who survived the sinking of the Titanic and her wealthy minor husband. So I will end up going into the differences. <laughs> Sorry, in her life. I know... You said minor, like in a mine. E-R, not like, O-R, not E-R. Like E-R, O-R, not O-R. Like he was a minor character in her life, which, I mean, hmm. Um, the original Broadway production opened at Winter Garden Theater and went for one preview and 532 performances. So it was about two years that it went. Only um, one preview? Yeah, that was what they, they added that in, and I was like, wild. You had one preview, and they were like, good. <laughs> this is good no notes <laughs> although i mean that was back in the 60s i wonder how how many previous like structured it was norm like what was like what was yeah. expected what was normal yeah pretty much um i'll talk a little bit about um oh, so the music and lyrics uh robert reiniger meredith wilson was an american uh, flutist, composer, conductor, musical arranger, band leader, playwright, and writer. He is the one who wrote the music for this, and we will see him again because he wrote the music and lyrics for The Music Man. <gasps> oh, I was going to say, Meredith Wilson sounds yeah. really familiar. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he wrote the song, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. Um, he was nominated twice for Academy Awards for film scores, so um, we will absolutely be seeing him again. Um, now, in terms of actors and casting, there were a couple of people that they were looking at for these two lead roles. Originally, they cast Robert Goulet as Johnny Brown, which... <laughs> I want you to know, oof. I was thinking about Robert Goulet last night because I was thinking of that yes. line in the chorus, in chorus line where they're like, Bob Goulet out, Steve McQueen Robert in. <laughs> and I've never thought of him as Bob but they would have called him Bob Goulet, yeah. and that's wild to yeah. me. Anyway, wild. as you were. Um, 
he was yes yeah, so robert goulet was under contract sorry Cron- bob goulet bob was, goulet under, was under contract we're doing great here <laughs> um it's this massive glass of wine that's really making the difference <laughs> um was under contract to columbia records which meant that he wasn't able to appear on an official soundtrack for mgm so mm. he ended up being replaced by the guy who's in it who was in the original broadway production yeah. Uh, they also were looking at a couple of other guys for this. But originally, they wanted Shirley MacLaine for the lead role yes. of this. But Halby Wallace would not let MGM borrow Shirley MacLaine. And so they went to a couple of other people, Judy Garland, Doris Day, Carol Burnett, Mitzi Gaynor, Shirley Jones. But eventually, uh, Debbie Reynolds, like at first, Debbie Reynolds, uh, they were like, ooh, maybe you should decline this because Shirley MacLaine, maybe. Uh, mm. But then things did not end up working out with Shirley MacLaine so they ended up continuing with Debbie Reynolds. I'm going to talk a little bit about the actual person that this movie is about. So obviously there were massive liberties taken (laughs) with this. Most notably that she and JJ never got back together. They separated in 1909. They remained friends but they were not. They never returned to each other once they decided to split. Yes. She was also not fully a social outcast like she's sort of depicted in this movie. She also yeah. had kids. Yeah. Um, so they never talk about their kids, but they had a son and a daughter. She was a huge political activist. So I'll go into sort of her life story. So she was born supposedly because at this time there wasn't a lot of records about this in July in 1867 in Missouri. And Missouri. she was known as Maggie. She was known as Maggie. She was actually not known as Molly until after her death. Really? That was a posthumous name that was given to her. Why? Because someone decided that Maggie Brown. Molly Brown That's... sounded better than Maggie Brown. All right. So anyway, she attended school while her father worked. There's that whole river thing. No. Um <laughs> So she attended school um, and her father worked as a laborer um, and they were there was a there was a large neighborhood. They were very tight knit Irish Catholic community. At 18, she moved to Leadville, Colorado with her siblings. And that was where she met James Joseph Brown, JJ, who is a self-educated man. He was not rich and she married him for love. After his death, she was quoted as saying, I wanted a rich man, but I loved Jim Brown. I mm-hmm. thought about how I wanted comfort for my father and how I had determined to stay single until a man presented himself who could give to the tired older man the things I longed for him. Jim was poor, as we were, and had no better chance. I struggled hard with myself in those days. I loved Jim, but he was poor. Finally, I decided that I'd be better off with a poor man who I loved than a wealthy one whose money had attracted me. So I married Jim Brown. So very different to Mm -hmm. how the movie portrays her, where she very much marries him because she loves him, as opposed to the whole thing of like, she's really not only happy until he shows up with $300,000. Yeah. Um, They had two kids, Lawrence, known as Larry, and Catherine, um, somehow known as Helen, um, and they also raised three of their nieces, Grace, Florence, and Helen. Two Helens. Don't know why they did that. Anyway, um, <laughs> they ended up acquiring great wealth in 1893 when his, when JJ's mining efforts um, ended up like hitting, literally hitting gold. They hit a substantial ore seam at the Little Johnny Mine. 
1894, they bought a $30,000 Victorian mansion in Denver, now known as the Molly Brown mm-hmm. House. She became a charter member of the Denver Women's Club, whose mission was the improvement of women's lives by continuing education and philanthropy. She became immersed in the arts and fluent in French, German, Italian, and Russian. She lobbied for women's rights to vote. Uh, JJ was really not interested in the social aspect of anything. And because of their, their differing priorities, they ended up drifting apart. So after being married for 23 years, they privately signed a separation agreement in 1909. And she received a $700 monthly allowance, which is the equivalent to $23,000 a month now uh, to, contri- to continue her travels and political work. She spent the first bit of 1912 in Paris visiting her daughter, and then she received word from Denver that her eldest grandchild was ill, and that was when she booked an immediate passage back to New York on the, on Titanic. the Titanic. Yes. Her daughter was supposed to accompany her, but she ended up staying in Paris because she was studying at the Sorbonne. Mm. Um, and so she boarded the Titanic as a first-class passenger and sailed for New York City, and it sunk. And she was responsible for attempting to save a lot of people's lives and survived and got all of these accolades for this. In 1914, six years before the 19th Amendment granted women the right to vote, she ran for the U.S. Senate seat. She actually ran for Senate twice, which was very cool. That's so cool. Yeah. She ended her campaign to serve abroad as the director of the American Committee for Devastated France during World War One. So she was huge in the process of, re- of like sort of revitalizing Europe after World War One. Uh, Also in 1914, she contributed to miners and their families during the 1914 Ludlow coal mine disaster, and she helped organize International Women's Rights Conference that year, which was held in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, JJ ended up passing in 1922. Margaret told newspapers that although she met royalty and other great people around the world, quote, I've never met a finer, bigger, more worthwhile man than JJ Brown. There was a bit of a drama with his estate afterwards he Uh had a massive estate and stock holdings um and it wasn't super clear to the browns and their lawyers how much was left in the estate prior to his death he had transferred a large amount of money to his children and so they were they were unaware about how much money margaret had in this Mm. but they weren't really pleased with how much she was giving to charity Mm. so they ended up having this huge court fight for like six years to settle the estate oh my god yeah but in the 1920s she focused her energies on personal passions especially theater and she ended up passing on october 26 1932 at the age of 65 in new york was later revealed in an autopsy that she had a brain tumor and she was buried next to JJ in St. Bridget's Cemetery in Westbury, New York. So that was who she was. She he was, was buried in New York? Interesting. He was buried in New York. I know. Just from watching this movie, I would have told you he was buried in like the hills of Colorado. <laughs> the, his body in the, in the river. Just in them, chuck him in the in river. Them, He'll be happier there. There's bodies yeah, them, in the hills. hills. Yeah. Well, she had a good long life. She, yeah, absolutely. And she definitely had an impact. Um, yeah, she was not one to go quietly. Um, she did not go quiet into life. that good night. No. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. Kicking and screaming. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's who that is. No. 
Um, I don't have a lot in terms of reviews and reception. So reviews were pretty consistent in that it just was a lot of style over substance. It sounded good. There was not a lot going on. It's very overstylized. However, it was nominated for a bunch of awards, uh, including Debbie Reynolds got a Best Actress nomination at the Oscars, and Daniel Pfaff was nominated for Best Cinematography. In terms of revenue, it did set an opening week record at Radio City Music Hall. Again, this is 64. It grossed over $200,000 and became the number one film in the U.S. that week, and it would be the highest... It would it set the record for the highest grossing film at the theater at the time with a 10-week gross of $2 million. I don't have an update on what broke that record. Okay. Singing and dancing. Cool. So what's his face? JJ. Good. JJ had a big, lovely baritone. Yeah. And I know that she was putting on an affect because I know that Debbie Reynolds can sing. Yeah, he had a great baritone. The only other people that really sang was Debbie Reynolds, who could carry a tune, but she was so stylized that I, well, it wasn't really enjoyable. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. That, like, I, I know that she can sing because we've seen yeah. her in Singing in the Rain, and she is good. And, and so this was just, it, I just feel like it didn't show her off at no. all. There was fun group dancing. I love me a prostitute dance battle. I love a prostitute dance battle. Like, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I love a prostitute dance battle. And I'll say it again. <laughs> love a prostitute dance battle. Uh, shall we do gripes, giggles, moments of yeah. joy? Yeah. There were a few giggles of of just, like, one-liners. Um Honestly, the the thing that both exasperated me the most and made me laugh was him chucking the the pickaxe behind him and then like <laughs> gold raining out of the mountain. It was so ridiculous. Um, I yeah. my gripe is that I could never really get a sense of how big and how aware Molly was of how big she was being. So for specifically. Right. When they enter via hedge for that <laughs> McGraw party, yeah, they, they, it wasn't clear whether they were like, to know. You have, you have to know, to that's, know that's weird. That that's, yeah, I had a surely not moment. I, I had a full. Did you? Surely not what was moment your surely not moment? It was. It was her putting the money in the fireplace and then going oh. to bed without telling her husband. Like she was surely looking around not. and then look and then like she looks at the furnace and I said surely not. Surely not. And she <laughs> chucks it in there and then covers it with shrapnel and I'm just like ma'am and then like pats herself on the back and goes to bed surely not this should be that should be a new category gripes giggles moments of joy and surely surely (laughs) not yeah i just i don't know if i have any giggles i don't really have any moments of joy i Um, think the duchess is my moment of joy i just really liked her as a character i did like the duchess the repeated moments of hmm, what a pity was very, very Yeah. It was that was fun. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the food fight the food fight was fun. I enjoyed that. I just didn't care by that point. Anyway, yeah. Do you have any fun facts and homework? I have two. First one is about just what I've already mentioned. So she was Margaret Brown was never called Molly. She was called Maggie or Mrs. Brown. It was changed for the Broadway musical. Um so they changed the name to Molly Brown because Meredith Wilson thought Molly sounded better than Maggie. 
Yeah, because I think in the newspaper she was known as the unsinkable Mrs. Brown. Yes. Um, and then the musical turned it into it's called Brown. Maggie or Mrs. Brown. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then the other one was just that she was very much an accidental passenger on the Titanic because her infant grandson was very, very ill. And so she yeah. was rushing home to look after that. And so it was very much like a not intended to be on that ship accidentally was here. I don't know if this is true, but the fun fact that I have, which is that this is Debbie Reynolds' only Oscar-nominated performance. That's, yeah. I'm going to look that up really quickly. That's wild to me crazy debbie reynolds crazy yep unsinkable molly brown was her only academy award nomination that is Mm -hmm. wild um i don't have any homework (laughs) no homework this time and i'm okay with that all right y'all uh take the weekend off uh no homework this time this was fine don't watch this movie watch something else yeah yeah it it was fine it didn't it's not making me Adequate. lose any, I'm not losing any sleep over it, but uh, this has been better. C-. Anyway, C-. that brings to, yeah, you passed. No, I'm not but... angry. And that is a very important distinction because there have yeah, been films yeah. where Grace and I have both been I'm not angry at it. <laughs> Cry baby. I was incandescent with rage. Incandescent? You were glowing? Oh, yeah. I was glowing with rage. All right. It's an internal we're gonna, fire just we're like. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about it later. But if you are still here, thank you for tuning in to 5678, a movie musical podcast. We love doing this. I have been Anna. I am still Grace. Take care of yourselves and others. We will see you on the next one. Our next one is our Halloween episode. Spooky. (laughs) Spooky. Take care of yourselves and others. Goodbye. Goodbye. 5678. There's no business like show business. Like no business I know